Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, shaping leaders among leaders. What's happening, my friend? So really, really good. How, how are you? Life is good, sir. I have got... Uh, I got man, life is freaking really good. And we got a bunch of amazing humans that are going to be joining us live here. And, and uh, this goes out to hundreds of thousands uh, around the world, too. So, um, I mean... I think... Not a not a bad day, right? So, um, man, I've been I've been excited about this since. Uh, well, I've been excited. I've been following your stuff for a long time, like I told you. But I've been excited about this since we got to to chat and connect, man. And and um, it was just an immediate, like, yep, I this is I think just like uh, very similar to this to this man, and um, an immediate an immediate respect too for who you are and what you're doing, man. So you taking the time uh, means a means a great deal, sir. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And uh, likewise, once our, our mutual friend connected us, uh, I was like, you know, you and I cut from the same cloth, different yes. country, like, but different cut from the same cloth. And yes. uh, from my perspective, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege to be uh, given this opportunity. Um, so yeah, looking forward to talking through some stuff. So cool, man. So cool. So the way we usually do it, you know, we've got um, young men that are able to join us here from uh, from all over the world, um, which is which is great. And, and when they can join us live, it just um, it, it makes it so much better because you and I can chat a little bit. We'll dive into you a little because we want to make sure that people that are just listening um, have a background on who you are and, and what kind of things you know you do. And then uh, I'll be quiet. And the young men here will jump in and they'll they'll be the ones to ask the really the hard questions, the good <laughs> questions. They'll be yeah. ones to bring it. So um, if you don't mind, what I'd like to do, you know, we got some young men on here as, as young as 12, 13, up to like 18, 19, 20. Um, but I'd love to go back to when you were 13, 14. Uh, let's go back to that and go, hey, were you? Who, who was that guy? Were you the guy that had it? Uh, I got it figured out. I know exactly where I'm going with my life. I know exactly where I'm going with my career. I know what I'm going to be doing. Or were you a hot friggin' mess? Or were you somewhere in between? What did that guy look like? That guy was uh, was a confused and angry young man. Mm. Uh, that guy failed at the two things he thought were made for him. And that led to the man you see before you now. Um, I was good at sport. And I was good at sport because it was an outlet for the anger that was ultimately just fear and confusion that I was finding a positive outlet for. So I was great at sport. That was plan one. That didn't work. Plan two was finding further identity, belonging, and an outlet in the military. Uh, and ultimately, as we may talk about today, that didn't work. So through an iteration, through a series of failures, I now find myself where I am today, but when we begin that that young man, um, yeah, I was uh, I was I was angry. <laughs> I was an I was an angry young guy. What was the anger from? I mean, there's um, you know, we have get we've got the DNA design of the default aggression. I mean, that is something that's part of the male gift, um, yeah. right? We have that within us, but um, it doesn't always convert mm -hmm. to, to anger. What was the anger rooted in? So with your permission, I'll go back a little bit prior to those teenagers. Yes, sir. Please. Something that uh, you know, I speak about now uh, on my socials because I've done the inner work and I have, I, I guess I've found a way to talk about this. Uh, but I was orphaned, okay? As a, as a young man, uh, I was left in a cardboard box outside a hospital in the local town. Uh, and that was me. You're someone else's problem now. 
So when you're growing up, um, you're just kind of really, really sad. And, and a phrase that we use an awful lot in, in my coaching and how I, I work with some of the guys I work with is that anger is just fear's bodyguard. And when we're afraid and when we're upset, we tend to project anger because in that moment we feel very empowered. We feel like we have control and we're just projecting it out on the world. And that's where so much of the anger came from, despite the fact I had nowhere near anything like self-awareness about that at the time. I just seemed to be very angry and very defensive and very reactionary and almost incendiary in a lot of environments. And I know now through the lens of hindsight, I haven't done the work. That's why. That's why I struggled to fit in. That's why I always felt most alive and most at home in military and, you know, sporting environments, because that was rewarded. <laughs> I got a right. that. Wow. I, I love that fear. Uh, anger is... is uh... Fear's bodyguard. Um, without, I want to, I want to go further into. Okay, so you know the decision to go into military. I want to talk about that, but um, I don't want to leave that part untouched. Too is that something you still see for? Because then you get to coach so many men now, right? And I get the the honor and the privilege of walking alongside hundreds of men as well. Um, and there are some that are still, and they're very open about the fact that they're angry or they're afraid of something. Do you find that that is still the the definition young man old man doesn't matter do you find that that's still a a, a relevant definition 100 percent. ordinarily whenever we begin the first thing is trust whenever we get a relationship where we have men that trust us and they want to talk about us and communicate and there's a lot of anger a lot of frustration and it's all being projected outwardly when we begin to give them a space and we begin to talk about it there is something that has hurt them there is some sense of abandonment rejection there has been something and they're just frustrated and they, want, they don't want to surrender to that because archetypally we think surrender means to be weak, to be vulnerable means to be disempowered. Whereas actually shame is in the shadows. And when we're able to stick a, a light on that and say, hey, it's okay. Like it's not your fault what happened to you, but it's your it's your responsibility to choose how you come back from it. A lot of that anger just dissolves. Like, fuck, I've been, I've been wasting my time, my energy, my bandwidth on this emotion that doesn't serve me. Yeah. You know, that's almost always be true. Ah, so good, man. So powerful. And, you know, and for, for raising other young men, you know, if we can get ahead of that, right. We can, we can beat that before it, before it really starts to take root, before it starts to compound. I mean, that's how we end up winning the game. That's where the Frederick Douglass quote comes, comes from, you know, it's easier to build strong uh, children than it is to fix broken men because there's less to have to unpack on that. Oh, powerful. So you're, you, you were orphaned, but you're, you're finding yourself solid in sport. What does the home life look like? in that in that regard like what does that home life look like is it a home is are you with a particular family like how does that how does that work for you yeah so you know as it goes i was still relatively fortunate i class myself as being fortunate so i was raised on a working family farm um really i wouldn't say as, as far as poor but you know we were a working family farm we didn't have an awful lot um i was there with a sibling who was not of, of the same kin and under two parents who did their best and they provided for us and that's maybe all I could have asked for at that time in my life. So I was very isolated because we lived like dozens and dozens of miles from the kids I went to school with. So sport was my only outlet. And uh, when I wasn't playing sport and I wasn't engaged in basically a, a project we have over here, which is like a pipeline of the military service called the Army Cadet Force, it wasn't in those two settings. I was, I was a loner. But when I look back in retrospect, it was one of the best things that happened to me because I became very academic. I, I, my, my reading age went through the roof. I became um, very talented at music because I taught myself to play guitar, by bass, piano. So, you know, I, I found something like a positive outlet, even if all it was was a distraction and really challenging um, inner dialogues in that moment. Wow, that's phenomenal. So 
you're 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 getting into becoming a self didactic, but then you have these outlets, these physical outlets, and through sport and through the the cadet program. Mm-hmm. Was it pretty early on then that you went, okay, either I'm going to go be a professional, you know, baller of some sort, or I'm going to go military? Was that a pretty early decision for you, where you're like, look, it's going to be one or the other? Yeah, I mean, I um. I, I thrived in that in the army cadet structure because it's exactly the same rank structure, discipline, lessons as you get in the British Army. But you know, you're at your teenage age, so you're 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 spoken to in the way a soldier will be spoken to. You're expected expected to demonstrate discipline. You're rewarded for that uh, attention to detail. All of what we call the C drills in the British Army: so courage, discipline, um, responsibility, um, all, all those things, loyalty, uh, selflessness. And I did extraordinarily well there. So for me, that was like, okay, I'm getting reward here in a way that I never get reward at home in my home life or anybody anywhere else. Um, I want to, I want to be part of this. I, I want to go into that institution. Um, so that was very obvious to me, but it was a bit of a tussle because I did also really enjoy playing rugby. That was my sport. Got it. No, I'm not. You guys might not be able to see this through Zoom, but I'm not the tallest guy. And uh, rugby players are typically sort of like topping out six three, six four as a minimum here in the UK where the sport was born. So it was uh, it, it was an uphill battle from the get go. It was always going to be a struggle. For sure. What a great sport, though, man. Yeah, yeah. What a great sport. Uh, it, it is, yeah. but phenomenal sport. Yeah, I was lucky enough to grow up in an area of of California where it was actually somewhat prevalent. Um, and we had some good guys that were close enough to Cal Berkeley, which is a good, you know, a good college for it. And then so we had enough guys. That's so a great sport. Um, so when you have that decision, when you go, okay, like military is where I'm going to go. Did you have support? Did you have support at home on that? Or was that? That decision, you know, weighed out for quite some time. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate that the, the heaviest element on earth is unmade decisions. So, you know, from my late teenage years, I was still very distracted and still quite frustrated and quite angry because it was an unmade, unmade decision. I was a point of dissonance because I kind of wanted to be uh, respectful and loyal to the way in which you've been raised. But I also knew that it wasn't inherently me and the thought of living out that vision, the thought of doing the same thing day in, day out for the rest of my life, having no freedom, not being able to be entre- uh, entrepreneurial or enterprising, even though I wouldn't have used those words back then, made me feel trapped. It made me feel frustrated. It made me feel, ah, I can't do this. But I still wanted to be loyal. So I thought, right, you know what? I'm going to be the first person in the entire uh, history of that family to go to university. And I went to university to study agriculture. Mm. happened where I went to university had a really good rugby team so it kind of killed two birds one stone I got to play a really high level of rugby I got to to progress myself and develop myself and educate myself but it was only so long I could avoid the somewhat inevitable and by the beginning of the final year I was like I've got I've got to reach this scratch and that's when I begun my application to to go and join the British Army and hopefully join the parachute regiment that's when I that's when I begun that process I love what you said even before walking through the decision. I hope you guys caught this too. You said, the, you know, uh, something about the biggest weight is it the unmade decisions. Yeah, yeah. the heaviest element on earth is, is an unmade heaviest decision. element on earth, unmade decisions. Oh, I love that. When did you, did you realize that during that process? When oh, you, no. I mean, and that's something that's like earned in hindsight, right? In retrospect. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. Yes, sir. Um, always, and you know at that time the the legal age of alcohol consumption here is 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 younger than than your guys is. Um, so we can pick from eighteen. So you go to university at eighteen. You play rugby, which is known to be a social sport already. You're an angry, confused teenager, and now you're allowed to drink alcohol three hundred miles away from home. What do you think happens? Okay, yeah. so you uh, you go down that route, and nothing really good comes from it. Like in fact, nothing at all good comes from it. You overdraw your bank account, and you feel like crap on a daily basis. 
um, to just distract yourself. And I, I believe to this day that alcohol is one of the biggest and most dangerous distractions to, to driven and success-minded men. Alcohol is one of the biggest threats to us. Enjoy moderation, but it, you've really got to guard yourself with that. So that's how I spent the first couple of years at uni. Again, because of what happened to me as a younger man, I, I, was, I was intelligent. I was articulate. I was able to do well in academia so I could kind of get by, which just made me complacent. And complacent, again, a really dangerous thing uh, to success-minded young men. You get complacent, you don't do the work, and you're going to be outworked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was the first couple of years' experience at uni. And then, you know, it all came to a head. And I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to go and do. Fortunately, I had a brilliant, the principal of university was fantastic. And he brought me into his office. I was terrified. I thought I'm in real trouble now. Yeah. Uh, and he sat me down and said, look, Mark, we've noticed your attendance is not good. What's going on here? I said, look, hands up. I, I don't want to go in this industry. I don't want to work in agriculture. I want to join uh, the British Army. I want to be an officer in the parachute regiment. He said, okay, you need a degree to do that. Okay, so this final year, it doesn't matter the subject. This is your first selection criteria to get that job. And the penny drops. I was like, okay, now I have purpose, direction, and I have support. I've got all the three things that a man really needs. So let's awesome. do it. Good for him. That's awesome. It's good to have good educators like that. They care about the individual like that. So God bless that guy for, for that. That's fantastic. So walk us through what that looks like going in, going in there. I mean, that's a, that's a giant transition. And, you know, you, like you said, you were going in there to scratch that itch. Did it scratch the itch? Did it give you new itches to now start scratching, right? And new perspectives. What did that transition look like? Cause it's a vastly different deal when you're actually in it. A hundred percent. You know, you go from an agricultural university, which is full of landowners and almost the aristocrats of the UK. And then in the end, I actually ended up enlisting. So I was a private soldier in the parachute regiment. Those two worlds could not be further apart from one another. Now, both have intelligent people, but one is street smart and one are, you know, intellectually very, very smart. And you, you grow up really, really quickly there. You grow up really, really, really quickly. Um, but this is where I took another plot twist. And this is where I somewhere believe in there's something greater than us that is going to constantly throw tests at us. It's going to throw challenges at us. It's going to show us what is for us and what is not for us. And you're going to be tested to make the right decisions. Because in going through training for that regiment, um, I got injured. Okay. And I got slapped with a medical discharge. So now not only have you had a childhood, you felt like you wasted, you had a university career, you felt like you wasted, you had a rugby career that you felt like you wasted, and now you've just failed at that. And now you really do have your back against the wall, and it's like, now what? Mm. Like, like, now what? <laughs> what do I do? Where do I go? Now what? Because I burned some bridges. If you're like the, the heir to the throne of a farming community where I grew up, and you choose not to take over the family farm, that's sacrilege. That is the single most uh, sacrilegious thing you could think to do. That is people not speaking to you anymore. That is, you know, you being you being disowned. That is you being abandoned. So you don't really have a home to go back to either. Mm. So like right now, my back is really up against the wall. And what am I going to learn about myself in this moment? Um, and it was actually through a serendipitous conversation that it all dropped into place. What was the one thing that was connecting all these things that I was brilliant at? What was the one thing? And for me, it was physical health, well-being, and pushing my body, and that was it. It all connected. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a rugby player. I'm not a paratrooper. I'm, a, I'm a coach. That's what I do. That, that is in my DNA. That is it. Learning. That is is helping people. That is improving people, and that is expediting and facilitating other people's journey. Mm. Um, and and I'll be honest. When that first visited upon me, uh, I had no idea even what a personal trainer was or what a coach was. I'd been in shape my whole life. I'd been in strength and conditioning since I was 13 years old. I'd been fit enough during to, to, to pass pre-selection to get into the parachute regiment depot. I was like, why would, what the hell even is this? 
when I got onto the course, and that's when it all began to make sense. That's when all the pain, rejection, frustration, all began to make sense. I'm here for a reason. Because across any one of those uh, different challenges, it could have been very, very easy to take the easy route, which would be let's settle, let's get a nine to five job, let's turn to alcoholism. It would have been so, so easy. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I didn't think that I was doing any particular act of grandeur, which is always about finding a way to keep going in those moments, which is ultimately why my program is called what it is right now. Yeah, the hard to kill. So you, one of the words that you said earlier, and, and I love this because I, I use this word too, and I pick up on it, but you said iterations, you know, you were talking about the various iterations. And um, I think of, you know, Malcolm Gladwell uh, has his concept in, in Outliers about the 10,000 hour rule. And I've always liked that. But Naval Ravikant says, you know, I don't, he says, I don't necessarily agree with the 10,000 hour rule as much as I agree with the 10,000 iteration rule. Right. You have all of the different iterations that allow you to fail, because what happens is you're going to fail for nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine of those. And then you're going to hit number ten thousand. And that's when it's going to click. And you're, that's when the mastery starts to to take root. And so really, in all of these different ways, they seem like they're up. But like you're finding these really these parallel paths, these parallel iterations that eventually gave you that self-awareness to go, wait a second. This is what's been here all along. Like this is what's this is what's been uncovered. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's painful, you know, because yeah. accepting failure, you know, accepting rejection, I, 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 I perceived I was going to be a career soldier in that regiment. And, I, you know, that, it was like a revolving door. I was in and out and it was a complete failure. It was a complete rejection. Um, it really, really hurts. And you have to let go of the part of you that's just died and swing through uncertainty to grab on to the next iteration. And that's why most people avoid it. And like right. I spoke about alcohol, distraction, that's easy because it numbs you and it, right. it, 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 it takes care of those emotions for you. Um, so tough, but yeah, for iteration, iteration, iteration. And that's, that's how we're all here. The, the ability, I love that man. And I see that. And and what you talked about there too, is, you know, sometimes going from one iteration to the next, what you're saying is people rather numb themselves rather than take the stress. And a lot of times that stress of moving to the next thing, mm-hmm. a lot of time, what I see is it is, it is the, um, it is that bridge that is now going to get burnt. It is that fact that just by doing what I know is right other people want me to do what they want me to do so it is that sacrilege it's that burning of the bridge you know kind of thing have you been able to make amends with the bridges burned or is it you just make peace with the bridges burned um it's almost both like concurrently it's okay i made peace quite early i was like um i know that this is this is what i want to do and fail or fail or succeed at least I can say I have the courage to go for it. And I'm okay with that. I've made peace with that. And then reparation actually came quite early because it was a case of like having conversations and people really seeing your reason behind it, why you did it and how important it was to you. And good people ultimately will understand. The issue with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. We think something, therefore we perceive someone else understands our rationale, but rarely do they. When you really sit them down, you look them eye to eye and you talk to them and you make them feel heard, um, they they typically get it and they say, okay, I get it. I, I know why you need to do that. And I'm sorry I didn't support you. And then you go. So good, man. So powerful. So walk us through, if you don't mind, a little bit of the um, the the coaching journey. You realize that this is what you are made to do. You realize that's the common thread. You realize that's the DNA. So what did that the actual process, the practicality look like? Because you didn't just step into you know, essentially the brand that you have now and the coaching program you have now, you didn't just step right into that. There's various iterations of that too, right? What did that look like? 
Yeah, 100%. So, you know, when I started coaching a little over 10 years ago, um, it's hard to imagine now, but online coaching wasn't really a wholesale thing. Right. It was super niche, super specific. People didn't really understand what it was. They're like, well, you're going to coach me through internet? How does that even work? So I did my dues and I did my reps on the gym floor. I went into a gym, got a job with my qualification, and I started doing the reps and doing the work. And I don't know why I was driven. I do now. But at that point, I didn't know why I was driven. But I was like, I need more clients. I want to work with more clients. I want to help more people. I want to grow. I want to scale. I'm in a go OK gym right now, but there's a performance gym over there. And I want to work in that one. So I've got to have this much money to go and work in that one. And when I got to there, I was like, I can work with pro athletes. I know I'm good enough to do that. So then I got myself onto an internship and I worked at a university high performance center. And then I liaised with a high performance center at Loughborough University where many of our Olympians train. And then I got myself on a role in that. And then I was like, okay, like I've, I've outgrown this area of the UK. We're now at a point where the, the household income and the need for, for this level of service, I've surpassed that. Where do I go? So I moved to Manchester, the second seat in the UK. I moved to Manchester. I got myself into the one of the best gyms in the world. I won't name the franchise in here, but yes, it's known as the best transformation gym in the world. I can do more. I can be better. So I got headhunted to the best private gym in the UK. And I worked there. I can still do more. I can still do more. I can help more people. And that was when I finally was crowbarred out of my comfort zone, uh, invested in my first business coach uh, five years ago now. And that's when we stuck it into an online. But it wasn't that wasn't it yet still. We, I built a company. Um, financially, it was very, very profitable. I had a great life on paper. Top line and bottom line were brilliant. I've got everything I could ever dream for. I can travel the world, work for my laptop, make a ton of money. But I wasn't happy because of the kind of people that I was working with. I knew how I communicate lands with a specific type of people. I knew the skills I had landed with a specific type of person. And ultimately, I knew that there were people out there in the world who needed me to communicate with them because of right from day one, week one, being left in a cardboard box through failure, abject rejection, people needed these lessons. So that's when I went all in and I, I, I cleared the, the savings I had for my mortgage deposit into a mentor. And I went, let's go, let's go, let's do it. Um, and that was three years ago. And now we are the Hard to Kill program. We operate in close to 100 countries across the world. Um, we're the premier coaching brand um, for success-minded people in the UK. Yeah, we've um, it's come through iteration. So freaking fantastic, man. So there's a couple of things that I want to unpack. And then, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you guys um, to to get your hands ready, and um, would love to have you would love to have you jump in and, and ask your questions too. So you guys can start putting your hands up. But I have a couple more that I'm going to. Um, that I want to go in with Mr. Rhodes. Mm -hmm. So the, I, I want to talk about the mentor quickly. And then I want to talk about the, what you said about the specific client. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's a genius in there that is, it's a simple thing, but most people don't really understand that this is something that they can control when they are in a client driven or a service driven business is that, you know, one of my mentors in business as I was launching a bunch of schools and, and we were bringing in parents and he's always talking about the importance of bringing in the right families, not just trying to bring in every family, bringing in the right families. And one of the things he said to me one time, he says, look, the customer is always right. And, and then, but you need to realize you get to choose the customer. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, you're right. And that made all the difference in the world in the quality of the interactions, the quality of the business and our ability to scale because it wasn't, you know, it's that it, at old adage of if you try to do something for everybody, you're really doing it for nobody. Yeah. Right. And so you figuring that part out on the client side, who, who is that ideal client 
for you? Why is that? Why is that the right client? Why? Like, how does that match take place? And how do you, how do you filter and find that? Are you doing like an application process? What does that look like? hundred percent. I love that. And just quickly touching on your point about the customer is, is always right. But you get to pick the customer. It's funny. I had a different iteration of a similar statement because I'd grown Mark Gross coaching the online business very quickly under the guidance of a mentor. Mm. And it's actually through that I uh, I birthed a bit of a quote that I became somewhat synonymous with at the time. Uh, I put this on social media and I said, the customer is, is often wrong. Mm. Yeah, and it was outrageous people. And I was like, you're coming to me because you have a problem and I'm telling you how to fix the problem. You're wrong. Okay. And then it was having the confidence and conviction, but not arrogance to say, not that I know better, but I've done it wrong a lot. And right. what you're doing, if the math doesn't add up, the math doesn't add up. So you've got to let go of what you think is right. And let's talk about what we think is, think is right moving forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very, very similar iteration. But could you revisit that question for me, actually? I've just I've completely gone off. Oh, no, you're good. No, you're good. I love that. I think that's fantastic. So then now, you know, who is who is that ideal client for you? And how are you finding that particular ideal client when there are so many people that we could potentially help? And, and I know how you're wired and we want to truly that that level of growth is driven by this level of I want to serve more like I want to help more people so how do you find those people though that you know you're gonna be able to help how do you the first thing I guess for me is is understanding my value and that might seem like a weird place to start this response but when you know that your your value you understand you're a valuable person and then that enabled me to get into an abundance mindset valuable people never go broke valuable people never go broke so when you've invested in mentors education you've you've learned failed iterated a thousand times you know your true inherent value therefore i'm not going to beg and chase somebody if they don't see the value that's not to mean i'm standoffish and arrogant i'm going to say look this is what i can do this is what i have done this is how i've helped thousands of people do this and if you don't see the value and you want to negotiate and you want to barter and you know you're looking to try and trim the corners ultimately it's just not really for you and, and then we're not fearful of not getting that customer in because if they, if they don't see the inherent value through how we communicate and especially how we verbally communicate, then ultimately it may not be for them. Mm. Then obviously we can dial into from, from that really high contour perspective of knowing what they're valuable and therefore we're never going to go out of business. We can always, we can then refine and say, well, who is our business and how are we going to help those people? So we look at all the challenges that I've faced and all the lessons that I've gained and also all the experiences that I've had. So the one, the one benefit of many benefits of never being particularly successful in many different fields is you've learned just enough about many different fields, which makes you a well-rounded and a whole person. You have lived experiences, which again, adds to your value. Mm-hmm. And what do we learn from that? What do we take from that? And then it's about doing the work. So something that I probably would never have thought to do or have done to the same depth and extent if I hadn't hired a mentor was, well, let's get clear on this. Like, who do you love to work with? Who are you passionate about working with? Who can you get the world's best results with? And why can you get those results? And lastly, ultimately, you're a valuable commodity. Who can afford to invest in your results? Okay, who are those people? And then for us, we were able to really, really refine that. We were able to really, really go down. And, and what we found was success-minded individuals tend to seek us out because from, from my perspective, we have kind of a quote. And that is, you know, success-minded people will smell uh, bullcrap five miles away in high wind. Mm. So real knows real. They will pick up on your authenticity. They will pick up. It's not just a marketing ploy. They will pick up on your reality. And that person is typically more inclined to want to work with someone who is authentic, who has integrity, who shares the same common beliefs, has some shared experiences, and ultimately understands to an extent things like capitalism because they've got a choice. They could pay cheap and they could get a coach who's stressed, 
who's overworked, who's burnt out, who doesn't care and has to play a numbers game. You can have that coach. You can go buy him right now. Or you can have a coach who knows he's a valuable asset, who's invested in himself, who's educated experience, who knows his worth and will charge his worth, and therefore is able to invest in a team to help him, in systems to automate it, and to make it a slick, high-value experience. Which coach do you want to invest in? And we know the right kind of people are always going to look for that. And that is who we serve. So freaking good, man. So good. And that's how you're able to, I mean, and that's how you scale. And I love the the fact that you start there too. One of the things that, um, uh, who it was, I think it was Alex Hormozzi when he was, when he was on, um, not long ago too, he says, look, it's the same amount of energy to go after small dreams and big dreams, Yeah. same amount of energy to go after not the right, you know, a bunch of not the right clients as it is to go just get the few really good clients. It's so energy expensive. Like right. when you're when you're not aligned, you're having you cannot be your true authentic self. Okay. You just right. can't be. You have to just compress or dilute who you're being. And that's exhausting. You're being you're you're playing an act. Yeah. When you're able to speak to your clients and you're able to talk about your lived experiences, you're able to talk about capitalism, you're able to talk about how their business is going, how their children are getting on in school, how you're doing, how you're like, it is so much easier. And therefore they get the best from you and you get the best from them because there is no, there is no threat within. So although like we've spoken a lot about the commercial element of that, like ultimately we just find when people have achieved a certain level of success in their life, they want to then take that a level beyond because ordinarily success leaves clues. And if people have done really well professionally, ordinarily they've been driven from a young age. They typically had a great sporting background. They've been athletic. They just then have filled their plate with other responsibilities, with new professions, new roles, new family, children. Right. Things are all really, really important. But now it's about, okay, let's refind you. Because when you get you back, you ch- your children and your wife get you back too. And your business gets a better, more energized, more purposeful leader. So everybody wins. It's a win all the way around. So freaking good. Gentlemen, you guys go ahead and put your put your hands up. So I'm going to start calling on you guys. Um, your mentor, when you found, how did you find your mentor, Mr. Rhodes? He did a fantastic job of doing what I aspire to be better at, which is he, he knew exactly who he was speaking to. Mm. So when I was consuming his, his copy and his content online, he was so dialed in. I was like, this guy's in my head. That is exactly what I'm struggling with. That is exactly the problems they're experiencing as I try to help more people. And this is why I can't scale. So I did one of his lowest ticket offers first because I was I was a young coach. I was a baby coach. I didn't, we didn't have working capitals. So I was like, let's do that. With full transparency, that was an eight-week course. I never finished it. And him and I joke about this. I never finished it. I got to week three. I implemented so hard and so aggressively. We had more new clients and more new work than we knew what to do with. So we couldn't, we didn't have time to finish the course. So he said, look, dude, you have smashed it. Um, how about you come and join me? And we did big boy products. Like you work with me a little bit more exclusively, a little bit closer. Um, so I did that within 13 months, you know, we kind of surpassed all records. Um, in terms of the results that our clients were getting, the impact we're having on the industry. As I spoke to before, you know, I was like, we can do more. We we can be better. So I elevated again into his highest tier, his highest ticket mentorship group. And I worked with him even more closely still uh, until not so long ago, actually. And we kind of got to the point where like, we've completed it. We we have done the journey. You've done your job fantastically, which is the dichotomy of mentorship and coaching. You do a brilliant job. People no longer need you. Um, That is what put us where we are. Oh, so freaking rad. And I love that. I want gentlemen, you know, before we start pulling you guys in, I want you guys to hear that last part. Eventually that's where a good leader wants to create other leaders, right? So eventually that's where it gets in. Think about it from a, a standpoint of your own parents, right? For you young guys that are listening to it on this call, 
your parents love you to death. They want the best for you. They want you to be a far better human being than they ever were. They do not want you living in their house when you are 45 years old. They do not want you to have to, if they, if you're having to live at home at 45, they have failed you, right? Because leaders want to create other leaders that ultimately you can still have a relationship, but you're no longer needed. A good educator gets you to the point where you are completely self-educating at that point, right? You are self-sufficient at that point. A good doctor makes you not need them. A good, you know, that's, it's just the way that that works. That's what a leader does. It creates other good leaders. And that's exactly what he's talking about right here. And so, you know, that's the goal for Mr. Rhodes as well, to to build these people up to the point where now they know, you know, we come to the end of the road, end of the journey, no longer needed. And it takes that true self-security piece, true yes, self-security. Look, I don't need you to be dependent on me anymore. Yes, and inside the program, we refer to three tiers of leadership. Um, and many of you young men will find yourself at level one right now, which is learning to lead yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's establishing better habits and higher standards. And when you'll get to a point, you will then earn the right to serve others. And that is when you've arrived at the point where you can, you're tier two, you can lead other people. Mm-hmm. You can request that other people go the extra mile for you, that they give up their discretionary effort because you're serving them to make sure they have the tools, the resources, the space, the safety to facilitate that. And then lastly, what you'll find, as my mentor did for me, is you will create future leaders because you've empowered them, you have facilitated for them to the point where they are now doing it for others too. And then you've, that is it. That is as good as it gets. That's your cycle. Oh, so good, man. Powerful. I got back from the Sahara Desert five weeks ago. Uh, I ran 250 kilometers, self-supported, carrying all my own kit and equipment in 53 degree heat. That was really tough. <laughs> yeah. Where what what drove you to what drove you to do that? Was it just like I need the, the, the new challenge? 100 percent So, you know, exactly as the guys that we work with, we understand that the excellence is not a singularly focused effort. Okay. It's not about just have the job, but just be grateful for your family. We actually perceive there are four areas of excellence. As an individual, professional, athlete, and leader. And for the past you know, 18 months, I knew I had it nailed down as an individual, professional, leader. What have I done as an athlete to embody authenticity and integrity? And how can I really grow myself here? Now, I've done some, some hard stuff, some really hard stuff in the past. But I thought, right, I want to put myself in an environment, in a situation, a challenge so severe, I do not know. Authentically, I do not know if I'm able to complete that. And I want to see how I respond when I'm put in that situation. So I Googled Toughest thing on earth. First thing, Marathon de Sable. You're going to carry your own kit and equipment, all of your own food for seven days across the hottest desert on earth. Can you do it? Well, let's find out. So that was that was what led me to it. I mean, and you just talk about it like it was like, oh, cool. So I just did the hardest thing on earth. Like, t- like how was that? Do you have like, do you look at it now and go, yeah, hardest thing I've ever done? Um, oh, that was it was amazing. Yeah, it was it was rough. I mean, we, you train really hard for that. You never take that lightly. We train really hard, really consistently. And I, my, my, my biggest source of pride was the fact that I didn't miss a single session for 12 months. Okay, so when I talk to my clients and we have some really, really heavy hitting, high performing, success minded clients, and I can look them straight in the eye because I have uh, I have reputable evidence that I have done the things that a person they need me to be will do. Yep. I will turn up for myself day in, day out. Fatigued, tired, doesn't matter. I will turn up. And I will do it and I'll not quit on me. So I'll not quit on you. So that was the first source of pride for me with being able to do that. And towards the end of that training cycle, I was able to surrender to the outcome. The outcome of whether or not I was able to finish that, um, because many people aren't, they're medically pulled off from the course, they're evacuated, they quit, they break, whatever. I wasn't able to promise the outcome. I could only promise that I will give it everything but my life. And I knew how hard I would prepare. So if I was going to quit, 
if I was going to quit, I was going to have to face me on those training mornings, those 20 mile runs over the mountains in the cold and the wet and the snow. I had to look that man in the eye and say, I know you worked really hard, but I've just given up on you. Could I do that? And I knew I wasn't going to do it. So when you go on the event from day one, it's a suffer fest. It's a suffer fest. They're like the day, day one, two, three, you're doing 35K, 35K, 35K. Day four, you do 90 kilometers. You have 36 hours to finish it over one of the biggest sand dunes in the Sahara Desert. And it's 53 degrees in temperature and you're carrying all of your food, kit and equipment on your back. And then you get 12 hours off and then you do another marathon and then you do another stage. It's, it's insurmountably hard. But what I learned in that moment is anything you think is hard, anything you think you can or cannot do is largely a construct of your own mind. Because when you've just done three 35K days and then an ultra marathon, you got 12 hours to recover and you, you can't walk. Like, I mean, you, it takes you 15 minutes to walk 800 meters because your feet are so swollen and bloody. Your knees are swollen. Your back is screaming. You're so dehydrated. Your headache is horrendous. And I can't run a marathon. I can't even walk. You can just find a way to put yourself on that start line. Your body knows what to do. Trust it. Trust yourself, your team, your training, and you will do it. Um, so yeah, that was rough. That 53 is Celsius, by the way. Um, I don't know what that equates to in, in Fahrenheit, but it's probably like 115, 120, there or thereabouts. Yeah, it's not cool. No, it's not. It's, it's uh, a lot of people had to got, got very ill, we'll put it that way. Wow. How many people were, were, were doing that? 1,100 started. Uh, by day two, 250 have already been, I believe about 250 have already been pulled off by day two. Uh, and I think like circa mid 600s or 700 of us were able to, to finish the whole event. That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Love it. Mr. Enfield, go ahead, sir. Thank you, sir, for coming on the call. Um, I have one question for you. What are the skills that have helped you most in becoming the man you are today? Thank you for that question, Henry. It's a, it's a fantastic question. Um, it's a good question. So I would actually be somewhat counterintuitive with this and i would i would probably argue self-compassion um each and every single one of you has has taken action and has put yourself in a situation to be on this call that tells me something about you tells me you're driven tells me you're determined tells me you're motivated but as a result of that it tells me you're also as higher disposition because to every dark there is a light and every light there is a dark tells me you're a higher disposition for self-criticism and for thinking you're not good enough and that you're not worthy all of that is a waste of your time, a waste of your energy. When you're able to be truly compassionate with yourself, ultimately you will go much, much farther because you will not be afraid to keep turning up for yourself. You will find a way. And it's not about being soft. It's, it's the total opposite of being soft. The old model of mental toughness is to push, 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 push until you break. It doesn't work. It creates cyclical habits of behavior. It creates real volatility, real true unhappiness. When you're able to be matronly to oneself and say, I know this is hard, this is what hard feels like, but you can do it. Then you're able to overcome any challenge that you ever thought you would be able to. So self-compassion would probably be number one. That also improves your ability to be empathetic with others. We all have all things within us. I've been a bad person. I've been there. I've done it. I've abused alcohol. I've been in fights. I've been angry. I've been jealous. We all have all things within us. And across your life, as you become more enterprising and as you grow, people will do some, some really crappy things to you. You can get really angry about that or you can surrender to it and say, I'm capable of doing that too. I wonder what his story is. I wonder why he's behaving like that. And it's not about letting them off the hook. It's about letting it go because you save your own time, energy, and mental bandwidth for the stuff that's really important because you have to always ask yourself, would I rather be happy or would I rather be right? If you only want to be right, you're going to waste a hell of a lot of time, energy, and bandwidth in your life. And you get very angry. A lot of people on the internet, who cares? 
focus on focus on being happy those are probably the two main things mm. um i've made so many mistakes it's really hard to shortlist them i've <laughs> done so many so so many dumb things um you know like there's so many surface level things so many decisions that you make out of uh egoic pursuit that have they've taken me down the wrong route they've taken me down the wrong path that have caused me to to lose money to to waste money to be inefficient even the tactical decisions like you're trying to buy an identity so you buy the clothes that that person would buy and then you end up like six months later having gone through an iteration of being like i have i have a closet i have a wardrobe full of stuff that i don't even want by wasted money on uh earlier in my coaching career probably one of the biggest when i grew my first online business i had a really profitable machine that i didn't ever want to go into i just kind of distanced myself because it was making me tons of money but it was also making me really really unhappy and how bad that got was to the point where I was on a I was on a retreat with a few friends of mine in a place called the Lake District in England, which is beautiful. If you're ever in the UK, please go check it out. It's the single best element and area of England. Mountainous lakes is great. Um, and I wasn't sleeping. At that time in my life, I was sleeping three or four hours a night, heart palpitations, eye twitches, like serious stress at like 26, 27 years old. And then I had a complete kind of ego death. And I realized this is this is this, this is my life. This is my life. I don't care about money anymore. I don't care. I will never sell my happiness for money ever again, ever. And I rung my mentor. I said, uh, this is the situation. This is what's happened. This is how I'm feeling. And I, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to go on. He he uh, he said, okay, here's what you're going to do. Make sure you're safe financially. You're going to shortlist all those people who don't make you happy, who don't respect you, and ultimately you can't serve, and you're going to let them go. I was like, oh, okay, I'll begin that process. I'll, I'll have it done by the end of the week. Uh, he was like, you have to 12. It's now 9.30. Get to work. <laughs> we ripped the band-aid off. And I came back into that room and those who were closest to me were vouchers. I came back and even though I was exhausted, burnt out, I was exuberant. I was energized. I was radiant because I was like, I have so much unmade decision. Gone. Wait. Gone. And that was the birth of the Hard to Kill program. That was when I, I had so much inspiration, energy. I was like, this is what we're going to do. And I got my pen and paper out. I got my journal, which I, I bring with me everywhere, my, my sets of journals. And I started to draw and I started to iterate. And this is what we're going to do. And this is the genius model. And this will be our deliverables. And, and that, that was the birth of it. So through the hardest time of my life came the thing that I needed. From the breakdown came the breakthrough. And um, that, that was a big mistake that I made very early on. Mm. Um, it, it's not something that I'd consciously had installed upon me, but it was, as is many the, the case of many people, it's a coping mechanism we develop. Whenever we look in society at people we aspire to be like and traits we desire to have for ourselves, that's actually a coping mechanism that they've developed. So when I was that young man, that prepubescent man in my bedroom, and I was hurting, like really emotionally hurting because, you know, I didn't really have anything that felt like a family and I had nowhere to be. And I wasn't like, that was really, really, really tough. But what, what choice did I have then as a younger man? Like things like, you know, things we see in the news all the time now, if we dare say its name, like suicidal ideologies never were even in my mind because I was so sheltered. I just didn't, I didn't know there was anything else other than just, you, you just suffer and you suck it up and tomorrow maybe be a better day. You get to go to school tomorrow so you get to see people tomorrow. Like that's going to be a little bit better. Um, and there have been times in, in business where, you know, I've wanted to quit. You know, coaching is a hard game. The average life expectancy for a coach in the UK is six months, as in like their career. They start their business, they're at it for six months and they fold. And there's been times where I've wanted to fold when, you know, I haven't known when the next meal is coming from in terms of like my marketing attempts weren't working and clients were like, they fulfilled what they needed to achieve. So they were leaving and, or you, you were just so frustrated with uh, the noise and the nonsense and people not oh my, like hearing sense. 
and not having the courage to leave their comfort zone years, years, years gone by. Um, and I, I actually went to quit once. When I first moved to Manchester, it just seemed like I, I was I was screaming into, into emptiness. Like no one was listening to the message I was trying to get across, which is stop quitting. You do not have to give up. You can keep going. And people were just like, yeah, but dude, can you get me ripped for summer? Or <laughs> I was like, this is not what it is about. This is not what life is about. This is a game. You don't have to subscribe to it. And I said, I, I quit. I, 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 this is not, I can't help people anymore because no one wants to listen. And I went for an interview as a recruitment consultant. Sat down, and the guy who owned the company, it was sat in front of me, he was a fantastic founder. He interviewed me, and I, I typically do well in interview. And he got to the end, he said, look, I'm going to be real honest with you because someone's not adding up. He's like, you're a brilliant personal trainer. I've seen your adverts around the city, and I know people that work with you. Why are you sat here in my office? And I kind of said what I needed to hear in that moment. And he says, okay, we'll let you know. But if I were you, he said, no one could drag my dying, burning body away from my business. Just think about that. So I went home, I got the call, and that was just ruminating. I was going round and round and round and round in my head as I walked home. No one would drag my dying body away from this business. And then I realized how good I got it. Like, I have freedom. I could select who I wanted to work with. I could select my own working hours. I could be in control of how much money I made and when I made it. It was just hard. And I was, excuse my French, I was being a bitch. I was expecting people to make it easy, people to queue up and say, oh, yeah, you're right, here's my money. Mm-hmm. and they called me and offered me a job and I said thank you for the best piece of advice you could have given me I, I refused and that was actually preceding me having a conversation with my then mentor and investing in him I said I was just being a bitch, mm-hmm. a bitch. so yeah that was, it was not easy at the time you know hindsight of 2020 vision but it doesn't mean wars so I knew then what I knew now like where would you be right, right. what do you think Brindle Crew yeah that's outstanding brother thank you man mm-hmm. you're welcome thank you very much yeah it's crazy that the, you know, I wrote down as you're talking, it's like the the courage to be free. People, people, we like to use the word freedom and everybody says they want it, but the responsibility and the courage to make sure that that is a reality is a real thing. You know, when you're, when you're working with, so, you know, you've gotten to work with so many high level individuals at this point, is there a common thread is courage is courage the thing or is there a thing that you see kind of a common thread where it is the biggest hurdle mm-hmm. for guys to to get over like the most common hurdle for them to get over is there one that come one or two to like pop out to you in your experience uh 100 i think you articulated it really well then matt often is it is a courage piece mm-hmm. so people are, are initiated to act when things get really really bad because it's like the, the pain of staying the same has now surpassed the pain of, of change. And humans, we don't like uncertainty. That's where our excuses, that's where our fears come from. We don't like things that are uncertain. So our brain will just make things up to dis- dissuade us from ever going to that. But often in the world that we now live in, what is the worst that can happen? Truly, what is the worst that can happen? So a lot of what we do in the Hard to Kill program is we look at offering freedom. When we talk about freedom, we talk about psychological freedom in terms mm-hmm. of your freedom, freedom from like self-critical thoughts that are unnecessary, freedom from the construct that is taught that is you have to be at a certain place and do a certain thing for a certain amount of time. You'll ask me if you can go to the bathroom and I'll give you money at the end of the month. We want freedom from that. We want, we want people to be free to make their own wealth, to accrue their own resources, to train their body, freedom from sickness, disease, illness, freedom to travel the world. Ultimately, that's what it takes. But it takes courage to do that because understand freedom is inherently yours. Mm. It is yours. 
like you own it. It is integral. It's part of you. Everything you need is within. But no one's going to tell you that. And no one's going to hide it from you. And you are going to have to push a couple of people over and say, this is mine. Thank you. This fucking belongs to me. This is not yours. You have to fight for it. Ah, I, uh, this last Monday, I showed my, my kids Brit and I know it's not historically accurate. I know I get the whole, I get the whole freaking thing, but, uh, I showed my kids Braveheart for the first time and they watched that and they're, they're watching this. They're like, first of all, good movie. Second of all, dad, these are the things that you say all the time. This is kind of <laughs> stuff. I'm like, that's right. You see why I'm yeah. so hell bent on you guys getting your freedom. Uh, that's just so good, man. Well articulated. When you are looking at a young person stepping into that, you know, is that, um, you know, one of the questions that uh, a young man who's who's a part of this program, but he said he wasn't gonna be able to make it today. So he sent me a text and he said, would you ask Mr. Rhodes this question? And I think this, this may be the proper time to ask that, you know, it, it, one of his famous questions is how would you define maturity? And I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but, you know, part of it in my head, as we're talking about this, making the decision to do the courageous act in my mind is when you are getting to maturity. I talked to one of our men earlier in a one-on-one conversation today. And he says, man, he said, it wasn't until I started with, you know, with Apogee this year that I even decided I was a man. I'm I'm 40. I'm in my forties. Like I'm 42 years old and I'm just now deciding I'm a man like this. I'm just now stepping into this maturity since then. I just, I felt like I was this kid. So as far as defining maturity for you, is it stepping into those those positions stepping into that courage, or would you add something else to really what it means to, to step into maturity as a man? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a fantastic question. And again, I believe it's, it's almost through iterations, like maybe maturity is a continuum rather than, than a switch. Cause I, like I, can, I can palpably remember when I was at a training establishment for the parachute regiment, despite the fact I never went on to, to have the illustrious career that I wanted, there was a training exercise and it was deliberately hard. It was deliberately arduous and we were getting punished for, whatever it was in the day and we're doing something called grenade sprints and this is after three or four days of sleep deprivation very little food no water extreme cold uh and we're in like a deep bog and when you start grenades you jump on your front like you're harboring you're safe from a grenade then they say sprint you get up and you sprint and then you repeat that but it's deep sucking oozing bog on a tired malnourished dehydrated exhausted bog it destroys you and I remember hearing the shout, sprint, and just not being able to get up. I just had nothing left, absolutely exhausted. And I really, really wanted to quit. Um, and I actually did in my head. I, I broke then, and I quit. When the instructor looked back over at me, he shouted the next command, which is grenade. And I just fell. <laughs> I just fell. And I realized he didn't know I just quit. And I also realized that if I do right now, my life's actually going to get so much worse because I still have to make it all the way back to basically where I originated from, which is miles and miles and miles. So I was like, I may as well just do it. (laughs) I met the right thing to do right now, as hard as it is, is actually not as hard as the downstream effect of me quitting. So that was one of the first times I realized, despite the fact it didn't, you know, become the career I wanted to, and despite the fact I hold my hands up and say this, there's a lot more people, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people, much more qualified than I to talk about military hardship and adversity and leadership and, and battles and all that kind of stuff. I'm not that guy, but that was still a lesson that I learned in that training establishment. So that training actually did its job really, really well. Um, I guess the second is when you realize when, when I started to build the company, um, I'm not just resourcing myself anymore. This is not just putting money in my bank account so I can buy the trainers and I can buy the car and I can have the house. We have staff, we have team, they have children. 
their children respect me and look up to me because they know that in some way, shape or form, I'm associated with putting food on their table and clothes on their back and paying for their educational bills and, and all this sort of stuff. And when you realize you're resourcing others, you're providing for others and you, you, your role changes to that of provider. Mm. Uh, and that was, that was also a really big shift for me because now I have responsibility. And again, once again, I learned in business, business is the single best self-development course you'll ever do. Yes. Right? It's rough. We'll kick yes. your ass every day. Okay. And uh, you'll love it because you love what you do. But you, it gets to a point when you can't quit, you can't take the easy route, you can't back down, you can't take a day off sometimes because there are other people depending on you. That's not so you can't rest and that's that's not the point, but like when you want to take the easy route of maybe we won't do this this thing, maybe we won't push for the next thing, maybe we just settle right here. Yep. It's not about you anymore. You're a provider and you resource other people's lives too. And that's, an, again, enormous maturity moment. Mm, so good, man. Very well said. Very well said. So in the next part, because I know we're coming up on time too. Um, the the next part for you. So when you, you know, you gave the example earlier of, of continuing to scale and you're going through all of these iterations, what is the next iteration of Mark Rhodes as far as you can tell now? Because you and I both know how things go and, and those shifts too. And you know, we're both kind of fire aim ready on those kind of things. What what does the next iteration look like for you for hard to kill? Um, as far as you can tell now. That's the fun bit is uh, is once you've had a few like really significant, we'll call them breakdowns, one of the breakthroughs or identity shifts. And you've had a couple, you start to revere them. And you kind of like, you'll give it a wry smile, but you also welcome them because that is going to teach you more than anything else on this earth. And people often ask, where did you learn that? How did you gain that experience? How did you become, you got to suffer, right? You got to go through that. You got to do it. You got to learn by doing so there are definitely things coming up because as we continue to work with more success-minded men, many of them are going to be your countrymen as well. As we look to, to do events, we're running an event in Colorado in July, yes. there are going to be challenges, there are going to be undulations, there are going to be unforeseen costs, mistakes, inefficiencies. It's all going to happen. And your ability to respond to that when you're being pressed with multiple angles, when when what we're at right now is, is all that I know, is all I know is what I can know. And we're at the scale we're currently at. To get to here, I have to die. And I have to be a bigger minded person. So that's going to take a death. And I know where I want to go. And, and I, the, the constraints will be applied to me and the pressure will be applied. And you either let go and you grow or it breaks you. Mm-hmm. So the next iteration will be as we grow the company and we serve more people. But ultimately, for every death and every growth, I become a more wise and more resourced, a stronger human who's more valuable to the people that I serve. Mm, so good, man. And I know we know with that July event in uh in Colorado, um, you know, I want to send it out to to our community and let people know what's going on. But I want to let people know if you have the room for, if you have the bandwidth for, are we okay to let people know on the show here too? One hundred percent. So I'd love to hear about that. One hundred percent. So this is actually our first uh, live in person event in, in the states. You know, we are we were found in the United Kingdom. We've done many events here in the United Kingdom, but we also now have a really really strong brotherhood, a fraternity over in the United States. And we thought, you know, we want to meet you guys face to face. We want to talk. We want to connect, um, and we want to build something special. So we're going to be over um, in in just outside Denver um, from the eighth to the tenth of July, and we have we hired out a campsite. We've got some sponsors, you know, some some of you, some of your companies have been phenomenally kind in sponsoring us, like grills, chefs, meat, some uh, a whole host of stuff, and it's split into uh, two days of development, mentorship, and education. That every evening there's going to be there's going to be uh, cookouts, there's going to be connection, there's going to be sharing of food, breaking of bread, speaking over the fire pit, um, and then the next day we're gonna we're gonna share some adversity. We're gonna get up some some of those peachy boys we got over there. 
That's right. Oh, beautiful, man. I love it. Yeah. When, when you have detail, man, send them my way. I want to put them, um, you know, I want to put them out there on, on our platforms, but I want to put them in our private groups as well. Um, and just let guys know what we're doing. Cause again, this is all, we're all same mission, same team, man. Um, so yeah, very much so. And where else can we send folks to? Cause this will go out here in the next few weeks. Um, so where else can we send people to, to learn more about your story? Where would you like people to go? 100%. So um, if you were to check out Mark Rhodes HTK on Instagram, um, there is a, a differentiation. Just want to be tra transparent between there is another existing hard skill program that is not us. It's, it's Mark Rhodes HTK. Uh, mm -hmm. If you type in Mark, spelled with a C, just to be awkward, Mark Rhodes HTK on YouTube. Uh, if you want to check out the Hard to Kill podcast on Spotify, there's uh, the three or four main ways you'll be able to consume our content and listen to what it is that, that we, we humbly speak about. Beautiful, man. Oh, brother, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you taking the time with these young guys, but just for who you are uh, as, a, as a man and as a brother on this mission, man. I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful and, and uh, honored to be by your side and, and excited to support uh, as we go forward, man, truly. It's fully reciprocated. Um, first and foremost, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Um, and I also want to take a moment to say an enormous well done to every single one of you young men. Um, being put in your situation right now, at your age, I don't know if I've made the decision that you made. And you've put yourself, you know, you've put yourself in a situation where you've put your hand up, you've asked for help, you've taken action, and you're sat there in the in the in the pursuit of betterment to learn. Um, so yeah, so well done, gents. Like give yourself a pat on the back and make sure you celebrate that win today. For sure. No, it's the best. Gentlemen, let's give a big thank you to Miss Rhodes, please. <laughs> you have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.